Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. So now, ladies and gentlemen, it is start time. Are you ready for start time? From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. This week, we're digging into our stacks of music to share some of our favorite new discoveries. Plus, you might know about the idea of dad rock, but what about dad rap? The idea that hip-hop is exclusively for young people, it's way overdue that we debunk that. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and later in the show, we'll talk with music journalist Stephen Hyden about the idea of dad rap. Greg, people may know the term dad rock. It's, you know, when the poor kid is in the backseat listening to your <laughs> your father jam out to REO Speedwagon, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, what is dad rap? Hip-hop has now been around for four decades. There obviously is old school uh, dad rap as well. First, though, it's time for another round of Buried Treasures. These are records that have been uh, percolating under the radar for most people. We found them, we discovered them, we're digging them, and we want to share them with the listeners. Uh, You are up first. Thank you, Jim. Uh, I want to focus on a band uh, out of England, Young Fathers. Uh, They're pretty well known over there. I don't think they have nearly the audience in America that they deserve. Uh, in 2014, they won a Mercury Prize for their debut album, Dead, which is a, you know, kind of the cool version of the Grammy Awards out in uh, in the UK. Uh, they're from Scotland, but uh, mixed heritage. Uh, one of the one of the musicians in the band, it's a trio, uh, was born in Liberia and then moved to Scotland as a child. Uh, another one is of Nigerian parents, and a third member uh, was born and raised in Edinburgh. Uh, so they, they have a sort of a mixed heritage there uh, that is reflected in the kind of music they make. Uh, they followed up that Mercury Prize with some contributions to uh, Massive Attack's 2016 EP, uh, Ritual Spirit, which I think gives you a, some some connective ideas about where their music is heading. That sort of eclecticism that Massive Attack brings to its music is is being updated for the now by the Young Fathers. Their third album, Coco Sugar, uh, came out earlier this year, and it, it is their best, in my opinion. I think they have uh, taken some of these scattershot ideas they have, bringing elements of hip-hop, electronic music, soul, gospel, rock together into more uh, focused songs, still giving their uh, unique imprint on them, but much more song-oriented than uh, their previous releases, and I think, for that reason, their best. Here's a track from that new record, In My View, from Young Fathers on Sound Opinions. My belly on a woman Leave her dancing for the lala Take her for the damn, the damn, the damn Find one and foie gras In my view I leave. 
cena, 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 That is In My View from Young Fathers on Sound Opinions. Jim, sometimes when I listen to this band, I get some TV on the radio vibes, which in my world are very good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like the way that they bring in, uh, you know, kind of an EDM electro pop influence into the uh, Afrobeat thing. It's, it, it is good stuff, Greg. Uh, as is my first buried treasure, Sunshine and the Rain. Uh, they have a second album just came out called Beneath the Stars, but a long and historical pedigree, at least in my old stomping grounds of Jersey City and Hoboken. Justin Morey is a kid who went to uh, St. Peter's Prep in Jersey City, uh, was the rival school to my old high school. He uh, was in Rye Coalition, a well-respected kind of poppy punk band out there in Jersey, and then uh, became a member of the psychedelic pop band The Black Hollies. This is his third act now, and it, it features Justin Morey, with his wife. Ashley is on vocals and bass. Justin's on guitar. Sunshine in the Rain is kind of doing this uh, mix of classic 60s girl group pop hooks, a little bit of psychedelia, some uh, garage. You want to talk about Jersey royalty. This couple got married in the back room of Maxwell's, <laughs> the legendary New Jersey Hoboken uh, rock club. Uh, and the music is great. You can see why they are much beloved out east. This is a song from that new second album. The album's Beneath the Stars. The tune is called It's All in Your Mind by Sunshine and the Rain on Sound Opinions.
It's All In Your Mind by Sunshine and the Rain, the husband-wife team of Justin and Ashley Morey. Thanks to Uncle Jim Testa, the dean of New Jersey <laughs> rock critics, for turning me on to them. Hey, Greg, what is your next buried treasure? Well, Jim, before I get to that, I want to comment. Uh, you know, you mentioned Maxwell's, and I go, this doesn't sound like the kind of song that you would hear in Maxwell's. This is this belongs in, the, in an arena in Jersey. You know, it's, it's like, like one of those big anthemic uh, it, songs. It's, it's not Bon Jovi. No, but it's got it's got those giant hooks in it. It's an it uber it pop song, uh, and and that recommends it to me. Uh, I want to dial it down a little bit in terms of just the uh, um, the 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 arena level and bring it down to sort of a a, a bedroom level with the Tomberlin. This singer songwriter from Louisville, Sarah Beth Tomberlin, uh, grew up in a very strict Baptist household. Uh, went to a private Christian college when she was 16. And then, uh, you know, I had some real questions about her faith and, and, and turned to music. And you can hear her trying to resolve some of these questions in her mind as she's making this record. This is a very dark record. Mm. Um, got echoes of, uh, 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 of some disquieting themes where she's questioning her faith, questioning everything about the planet. And at the same time, you know, there are echoes of those hymns that she must have sang in church in, in, in her music making. The song I'm going to play from her debut album, At Weddings, is called Self Help. And I like this song because it sort of blends those uh, quiet moments with some really disquieting uh, interruptions. So that abrasiveness mixed with the kind of low-key melodicism uh, really hooks you in and, and kind of gives you a sense of the, of the tension that's going on mm. in her own mind about resolving some of these issues. Self Help from Tomberlin on Sound Opinions. That was Tom Berlin with Self Help on Sound Opinions. 
I dig that, Greg. Uh, I hear a little shoegaze in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm going to see your shoegaze, and I'll raise <laughs> you some more shoegaze. Uh, there's a band called Light Foils that has been kicking around in the Chicago underground since 2010. They have a new album out called Chambers. Um, I think, as with Tomberlin, uh, the front woman of Light Foils, Jane Zabeth Nicholson, uh, is, is kind of building on what Lush did in the early 90s in terms of really beautiful uh, vocals and, and reverb. More reverb than you're going to get anywhere uh, mm-hmm. of late that I've heard. You know, that classic shoegaze sound, that's a term we kick around. It's essentially psychedelic pop. Uh, the big revival in the 90s brought it back in, in a large way, but it never really went away. This, this, this kind of well-crafted pop with the Beatles revolver psychedelic production aesthetic. I, I fell in love with this right away. This time is up by Light Foils on Sound Opinions. Light foils. This time is up. Great shoegaze from Chicago. Uh, Greg, we like to share the buried treasure wealth. And this week we've invited Kristen Curtis, who's a host on the morning show at XPN in Philadelphia. She's going to share a couple of her own buried treasures. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored and really excited to be here. Oh, it's our privilege and we appreciate XPN's support. So uh, give us your first buried treasure. 
All right. I'd like to talk about someone from Philadelphia first. His name is Ali Awan. He's 26 years old, has spent the second half of his life playing guitar, writing songs. He was born just north of the city and was influenced by the Black Angels, the Creation, Graham Parsons, Rolling Stones, and really jangly pop rock. Uh, So he's got just a few songs out right now, but another 10 to 12 ready to go, and we'll be releasing an EP or an album soon. But I brought you a song called Citadel Blues. It's really interesting stuff. Uh, I'm surprised to hear your 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 list of his influences there, because I'm also hearing a little bit of Beck. In That's particular, what I heard that, too. Yeah, that weird guitar solo. It's ferocious. It's it reminded me a lot of Loser in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a little bit of weird hip hop, and then also you're right, this jangly pop thing going on, a little psychedelic guitar. Yeah. That was really fascinating to me, and I really liked the layering of the the electric and the acoustic guitars, and the the beeps and the bells in it. It all layers really nicely. Is so, he is he drawing uh, in in Philly? Does he play out and fill the room? Oh yeah, he he fills. He's on bills with other Philadelphia artists that also do draws, and he's uh, really developing a name for himself around here. It's very promising talent. I'm really excited to see what happens with him. If you've got a buried treasure we need to hear, call and leave a message on our hotline, 888-859-1800, or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. After a break, Greg and I will share more Under the Radar albums, plus Kristen Curtis from WXPN has another pick as well. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, the brewers of Next Coast IPA, 312 Urban Wheat Ale, and Bourbon County Stout. Pairing beer and music since 1988, they believe it's always best to listen critically and enjoy responsibly. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and we're going through some of our recent favorite records that haven't gotten as much attention as we think they should. Today we're uh, joined by Kristen Curtis, a host on the XPN Morning Show in Philly, a great station, and a great host, I might add. Uh, She gave us an album before the break, and now she's back with another artist. Kristen, what is your final Buried Treasures pick for us? Well, thank you so much. So this is a woman who is based in London right now and is half Chilean. Her name is Gabby Garbutt, and she performs with a six-piece band called The Illuminations, one of whom is Sean Reed of Dexie's Midnight Runners, and he is her main collaborator. So the two of them have uh, collaborated on this song together, a tune called Lady Matador. Kristen, you think I'm wrong to hear a little bit of uh, Lily Allen, certainly the snark <laughs> is there, meets like Courtney Barnett, because the, 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 the like kind of alt-crunch ferocity is there. That's so funny. I was hearing things like Madness and like Dexie's Midnight Runners and a lot of, uh, you know, 80s, the, that second wave of ska, and I do hear some punk in there, so it's interesting that you would mention some people who are doing that in their own worlds that are modern right now like Lily Allen and Courtney Barnett I'd have to agree now that you mention it I have not heard the word words Dexie's Midnight Runner uh, pass through uh, uh, the lips of anyone in in decades. What's Come on, Eileen. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Where 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 have they been and what are they doing? Do you have any idea at all, Kristen, or what what's happening I guess with them? He's been working on records and producing things for people in addition to still doing some of his own music, but he seems to be pretty heavily involved with Gabby Garbutt and mm-hmm. the Illuminations now. I mean, he is part of their band. I know for the last year or so he has been collaborating on her with a lot of songs and they're I, I'm surprised they don't have an album out already. I know it's been a little over a year they've been working on it, so I know that's what he's been doing recently. Yeah, there's just those singles on Spotify, um, but it's it's great stuff, and I imagine you haven't gotten to see her live, right? No, not yet. She hasn't come to the States since I found out about her, but I'm hoping that she comes soon. Well, I'm really glad you put her on my radar. I like that record a lot. We have been talking to uh, Kristen Curtis of XBN in Philadelphia. Two excellent buried treasures, Kristen. Thanks for coming on. Oh, I'm so glad that you enjoyed them. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Greg, you've got one more buried treasure for us, right? I do, Jim. A band called Zeal and Ardor with an album called Stranger Fruit. This is a Swiss-American avant-metal band. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, I I have been following this band for a while, trying to make sense of what they're trying to do, and I think they finally nailed a more coherent approach to their music with the Stranger Fruit record. 
people have described them as black metal meets black spirituals, which sounds to me like, wow, that's a terrible idea. Mm. You know, it, how's that going to work? What's that going to sound like? Zeal and Ardor made waves in the in the metal scene a couple of years ago with that that unusual blend, and there was a lot of controversy about this band. What are they really trying to get across? Well, the band leader, uh, he was born in Switzerland uh, to an African-American mother and a Swiss father in 1989. So a lot of that knowledge of, of, of black spirituals comes uh, from his mother's side of the family. He was listening to this music as a kid. Uh, he learned piano at a very young age. He played in a black metal band. He also played in a chamber pop band. This kid is not afraid to mix up genres. This band posits the notion, well... If you believe in God, which, you know, the black spirituals were built on that foundation, uh, you also know there's a devil to contend with. And the devil plays a role in the Zeal and Ardor songs, and you can hear it in Row Row from the Stranger Fruit album on Sound Opinions. That is Row Row from Zeal and Ardor with the new album Stranger Fruit on Sound Opinions. I, I never thought I was going to hear Field Hollers uh, going into death metal. Uh, <laughs> Nor I, man. <laughs> but you're right. Somehow those guys make it work. It does work. And, and it sounds organic. Um, my final buried treasure is not organic. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Game Genie Sokolov is the stage name for an artist, uh, Jeffrey LaRue. He is a chiptune artist. I bet you don't know what chiptune is. I don't. I went down a rabbit hole with this, and there is an entire genre here uh, based on the synthesized electronic sounds of old arcade machine games, computers, and video game consoles. Jeffrey LaRue, Game Genie Sokolov, in particular, is fascinated with his ancient, now ancient, Sega Genesis console, mm. right? And he claims, and all the chiptune artists claim, 
that these early synthesized sounds were, uh, you know, on these games, uh, as primitive as they were, have this certain charm to them that the newer games don't have. I, I think it's the same way uh, 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 the earlier generation of synthesis would champion analog machines over digital. Uh, all of that is not necessary to appreciating this really cool, uh, chilling, uh, dreamy, ambient electronic music uh, that Game Genie Sokolov is making. Here is what I'm talking about. This is a track called Agroom on Sound Opinions. Sokolov. The track is a groom. He is a, a person of many talents, Greg. A drag queen, <laughs> a gamer, spelled G-A-Y-M-E-R, a software developer, a radio host, and obviously an electronic music well, composer. There you, there you go. I am in a pastel-colored dream as we speak, Jim, listening to that music. That is the soundtrack for my dream. I, You know, I used to have a little pocket Tetris game. I never Couldn't thought be any about, more delicate. about making music with it. <laughs> That's going to wrap up our edition of Buried Treasures. But if you've got an album that is flying under the radar that everyone should hear, let us know. Give us a call at 888-859-1800 or connect with us on Facebook or Twitter. Coming up, we're going to talk dad rock and dad rap and why Jay-Z and the Rolling Stones have a lot more in common than you may think. That's In a Minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. I am here with my partner, Greg Cott, and our guest, Stephen Hyden, is one of the foremost experts on a genre that was created initially as a put-down, dad rock. You know, this is what you said. This is so uncool. Your dad <laughs> listens to it. It's like dad jokes, dad rock. He even wrote a book, Stephen, on the topic, Twilight of the Gods, A Journey to the End of Classic Rock. Now he says dad rock has evolved from an insult into a term of endearment. And this summer he took his commitment a step further, claiming a certain slice of hip hop now qualifies as dad rap. 
Yeah, he wrote an interesting piece about it in the website Uproxx, where he basically said uh, we need a conversion guide from dad rock to dad rap and, and draw parallels between artists like Jay-Z and the Rolling Stones, Outkast and the Beatles. Uh, we'll get to more of those comparisons, but first we had to ask Stephen to further define what dad rock is. There's no clear narrative on how you know, who exactly invented this, but as far as I can tell, it derived as many memorable insults and music criticism do from the mid-90s British music press. <laughs> They're good at the slag, yeah. <laughs> they are. And the legend is that there was a photo of Noel Gallagher from Oasis, Paul McCartney, and Paul Weller of The Jam <laughs> in, in the studio together, and some snarky British writer referred to them as bad rockers. And the idea at the time was to talk about bands like Oasis that were very enamored with the 60s, you know, sounding like the 60s, even dressing like they were from the 60s. And it was intended as a criticism, you know, that they were conservative, that they were backward looking. Uh, As far as the term being used in America, the review that gets the most credit for that is a review of Sky Blue Sky, the Mm. Wilco record that ran on the site Pitchfork in 2007. Written by my good friend Rob Mitchum. Got to give him a shout out. And again, he was using it to describe that record, which he felt was, you know, after the experimentation of the early 2000s Wilco records, he felt that that record was maybe a regression to guitar solos and sort of a a light rock 70s sound. And it's interesting because I feel like over the years, it's gone from being this, again, this sort of epithet that's thrown at traditional sounding rock bands to almost being a term of endearment Hmm. now. Comfort food. Bands now, they don't necessarily, you know, run away from that term as much. But uh, I bet that many fans of of dad rock, if we're to say like, you know, Neil Young and Wilco and Rolling Stones and such, right, would, you know, what dad rap? What are you talking about? Right. And, you know, always the short term memory. This genre is 40 plus years old. Yeah. I mean, I think what we're seeing right now the idea that hip-hop is exclusively for young people, it's way overdue that we debunk that. I mean, I'm 40 years old. I grew up in a world where hip-hop was pop music. You know, by the early 90s, you know, this was not music on the fringes anymore. It was on MTV. It was dominant on the radio. So even people who are, like, in middle age now, you know, grew up listening to this music and you're starting to see also the old school rap radio stations now, like that being a format analogous to the classic rock radio format. Classic hip hop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Master P, won't you wobble, wobble to the Fuji's? What's up, everybody? This is L. You're seeing that more in larger cities. You know, the idea that only old people listen to rock, obviously, as we go on and on, uh, you know, I think rap will take the place of that more and more. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a sort of an underlying point of your piece is that who are the classic rock bands of today that are going to be remembered the way Zeppelin or, you know, The Who or, you know, whatever, The Stones were remembered from the 60s and 70s? I mean, you know, Cage the Elephant, I don't think is going to have the same stature (laughs) 20 years from now that The Stones do with their generation of listeners. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but you're right. When you talk about dad rock, you're really talking about a band that stopped innovating. And when we talk about dad rap, are we sort of burying these guys saying, okay, they basically can play the greatest hits tour, but can they deliver any music that anybody's going to care about? 
Well, I think there's, you know, one of two ways of looking at this. I mean, you can look at it in the way that you just described where you're burying these artists, you're sort of relegating them to obsolescence maybe in a way. But then on the other hand, you know, the reason why people still talk about Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and the Rolling Stones is that there's been this industry that's existed for decades that has preserved rock history, whether it's classic rock radio, whether it's documentaries, books, people keep talking about these artists and keeping them alive. And that's why new generations get interested in them. And, and I think there is something positive about hip hop not burying its heroes quite so quickly as maybe as has been true in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, that industry that has existed in rock that has, you know, sort of preserved this history. I think you're just starting to see the beginnings of it in hip hop. You know, you're seeing movies like Straight Outta Compton. You're seeing again, these radio stations in major markets that are playing songs from the 80s and 90s. As long as that doesn't take over the present, I think it's okay. It's when that stuff becomes too important, when you lose the balance, that I think it becomes bad. But you know, we're all music fans. We're all, you know, critics, and and we love history. We love exploring this stuff. We think it has a value, and I think if you put it in the proper context, it can be a good thing. I buy that. So let's have some fun. Because I know the point of this Up Rocks piece was uh, to start arguments, and we're going to throw it out to our listeners if we carry on the dad rap thing, who is who. But, you know, Jay-Z is the Rolling Stones. Why is Jay-Z the Rolling Stones? The point of the comparison was to talk about how the Rolling Stones, during their peak, obviously one of the greatest rock bands ever, very important, very influential. But then they had a long afterlife where they continued to put out records and they toured, but it was acknowledged that they were not doing their best work. No, they, they have now sucked three times longer than they were great. Exactly. And I feel like Jay-Z, it's not quite that long yet, but like what was his last truly great record? If you having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I, I got, got 99, 99 problems, problems, but a I guess 444 did pretty well. It was nominated for Album of the Year at the Grammys. But for me, peak Jay-Z ends with the Black Album, mm -hmm. which is now 15 yeah. years ago. And we're getting to the point now where the afterlife of his creative peak is longer than his actual peak. So that was the point of that comparison, that I feel like his celebrity is so much bigger now than what he is contributing artistically. And that is the place that the Stones have. The comparison that sort of jumps out at me is Eminem and the Eagles. Yeah. Eminem is the dad rock equivalent of the Eagles. Yeah, just because, you know, again, to pick up the misogyny angle, I feel like a lot of the biggest Eagles songs are about witchy women who have lion eyes. Yeah. Things of that effect, and certainly that has been a strain in uh, Eminem's career. <laughs> I get to meet famous people. Look at her tag. Her nylons are ran, a skirt snag, and I heard she drag races. I also made a somewhat jokey connection to him because he sampled Joe Walsh on uh, the Marshall Mathers LP2. And that was sort of like his late career, you know, trying to rejuvenate mm. himself in much the same way that the Eagles hired Joe Walsh in the second half of the 70s when they wanted to become a big stadium rock. See, I got band. an actual dad rap story for you. During my <laughs> short-lived tenure at Rolling Stone, Jimmy Iovine 
came in, and we all had to go to Jan Wenner's office, and Iovine played him the new Eminem album at that point and said, Jan, you know, I know this isn't your thing, but you got to understand these are the stones of today. <laughs> so this was right. actual bona fide dad rap pitch, mm, yeah. you know. Putting it in terms that Jan Wenner could understand because yes. he didn't well, understand Eminem at all. Well, that just makes me wonder, what is the Fairweather Johnson of rap then, you know, <laughs> who, to, to bring it back to your tenure at Rolling Stone? Well, you have Drake as Tom Petty. I would say Drake is the Hootie and the Blowfish of dad rap. I don't want to die for them to miss me. Yes, I see the things that they wish you know me. That was one of the more controversial comparisons in my piece. People did not like me comparing Drake to Tom Petty. And my reasoning for that is that Tom Petty was an artist who bridged between the older baby boomer rockers and the younger, you know, Generation X people. So he mm. could be on stage with Axl Rose and with Dave Grohl, and then he was also in the Traving Wilburys. She's a good girl, loves her mama, loves Jesus in America too. And I feel like Drake has a similar thing where he can be with the young SoundCloud rappers, and then he also makes sense when he's with Jay-Z and Kanye West. So that was the focal point of that comparison. But really in no other way are they alike. So yeah, no, I just want to no, make that clear. I mean, Tom Petty was in no way emo, and Drake is, you know... But they're both great at making radio songs, so you could say that too. Oh, that's like true. Tom Petty that's is, true. you know, especially if you could, Yeah, like he could just write great radio hits. Yeah. In a way that, like, you know, because I compared Kendrick Lamar and Bruce Springsteen together, and I feel like Kendrick is more in the Springsteen mode where, you know, Bruce was more about albums and not as much about singles, at least before Born in the USA. And also just how the press talks about Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar is probably the most bulletproof artist right now uh, in music. You know, he's revered beyond all measure. Yeah. Hey, I remember syrup sandwiches and crime allowances for and that's what Springsteen was and probably still is among rock critics. What it went with Dylan on, on Kendrick. Kendrick is Kendrick the, Dylan. Is, yeah, that's is good. Dylan, that's good. You you know? Know? Yeah, I think that works too. I didn't. I didn't have a Dylan comparison in my yeah. piece. I don't. I, that wasn't intentional. I don't know why. I you didn't. know, the, not on his worst day would Kendrick say, "You know, strap your hands around my engines, <laughs> baby." My left Nas is Pearl Jam. Now that's a, a, a subtle, nuanced. Uh, that's a good one. Rappers are monkey flipping with the funky rhythm. I be kicking musician and flipping composition of pain. I'm like Scarface sniffing, holding the instrument. See with the pen, I'm extreme. Now, give us your logic. Well, because I feel like they're both ultimately defined by their first records. Mm -hmm. You know, Illmatic for Nas and Ten yeah. for Pearl Jam. And they've both put out good records after that, but in terms of what people really know and they talk about the debut records just tower over everything else. And I also feel like they're both 
kind of specific to Generation X. Like if you grew up and you were a teenager when those when they were both really big, they have an importance to you that maybe they don't really have to young people. Like when I talk to, you know, millennials about Pearl Jam, it doesn't always translate. And I feel like there's a similar thing with Illmatic because that record is always either at the top or near the top of like the greatest rap albums of all time list. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, when you have a record like that, it creates fatigue, I think, with younger people where it's like, okay, enough about Illmatic. I'm sick of hearing about (laughs) Illmatic, even though it's a great record. Right, right. I love Illmatic, but, you know, it's like the Sgt. Pepper uh, phenomenon with, you know, people of my generation. You read Rolling Stone all the time. They're always talking about Sgt. Pepper being the greatest album ever. It becomes a cliche. It becomes a cliche. And you just, it's even even though that album has its merits, you're just like, okay, enough with the Sgt. Pepper. You now have to (laughs) overcome the hype in order to hear the music. Right, exactly. Now, I like uh, the self-explanatory descriptions for <laughs> Wu-Tang Clan is Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. I thought that was clever. Smoke on the mic like smoking Joe Frazier, the Hellraiser, raising hell with the flavor. Terrorize the jam like troops in Pakistan, swinging through your town like your neighborhood Spider-Man. So all uh, tick-tock and keep ticking while I get you flipping off the shit I'm kicking. The Lone Ranger, co-ed, danger, deep in the dark with the you couldn't have gotten better. Every everyone's a star, that, right? right? Everyone's, everyone's a star. Everyone kind of co- comes in and out. Yeah. You never know exactly who's going to be. Who's in the on group. the record? Who's oh, on yeah, stage? It's, it's even true. it's like who showed up? Like people are actually counting Wu Tang members at shows. Like, wait a minute, I don't see Capadonna up there. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah, and like Capadonna might be like in the dressing room. Yeah. So that, he might be in the building, but he's like, I'm. I'll, I'll show up in the middle of the gig. And then you have like Neil Young. You know, he might show up to the recording session. He might not. He might just take <laughs> off. <laughs> You know, you, you might delete him from the... Yeah, so, yeah. So, Ghostface Killer would be the Neil Young. Oh, yeah. Because well, when yeah. he's there, it's it's head and shoulders above even as good as Wu-Tang is without. <laughs> and I would say Stephen Stills is RZA because RZA was the mastermind of Wu-Tang. And Stephen Stills, oh, at least in go. the beginning, was the, the mastermind. Yeah. The one that kills me, I think the one that caused the most uh, controversy within the Sound Opinions team here, uh, I'm including not only us but our producers... Uh, Outcast is the Beatles. Yes. Outcast, at their peak, achieved a kind of level of uh, of prominence where it seemed like everyone liked them. You know, they were one of the kind of few touchstone groups that I can think of really mm. from the last 10 to 15 years or 20 years even. Like when Hey Ya was really at its peak... You know, there were like people in their 40s and 50s that could appreciate that song. You know, there were young people. There were it was black and white, men and women. Mm. They achieved a sort of level of ubiquity that I tend to associate with, like the Beatles or Motown or artists like that. When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. Now, but now these days are gone. I'm not so self-assured. See, I thought you were going for the Lennon-McCartney thing. Because those are two extraordinary writers who, you know, are in competition to top each other. You know, both great on their own, but even better when they come together. You know, I think that's totally right. And I think even 
the you know the psychedelia that came in toward the mm-hmm. end with Andre mm-hmm. 3000 you could if you're going to call him the Lenin in that and Big Boy made more of like I guess a pop oriented record you know like like the speaker box is more sort of made for radio and Love Below is you know has its head in the clouds mm-hmm. so that kind of conforms I guess to like a Lennon McCartney type thing going on at the end of the of, of the band's career well, let me get uh, philosophical here with, with you, Stephen. <laughs> We're talking to Stephen Hyden of Uprocks, uh, our colleague, cultural critic. He did this great piece. Uh, you know, one of these classics like who's cooler, Beatles or Stones, argument starters, who is the dad rap equivalent, right? Brother, mom rock, mom <laughs> rap. Right. All right, we're discriminating here. So right. who, like Queen Latifah, right now, bam, you're on the spotlight. Who is Queen Latifah? I'm I'm gonna ditch the question and say like <laughs> Lauren <Minaj>. Hill. <laughs> well, I was gonna say like like Lauren Hill to me is almost like in my piece here. I I, I liken the Fugees to Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Oh, well, Lauren Hill. Lauren and the no brainer man. She's Joni Mitchell. So I was going to say, because if I were to carry over the Fleetwood Mac thing, I'd have to say she's Stevie Nicks, but she mm. feels more like a Joni oh, no, Mitchell yeah. type figure. So yeah, I would agree with that. With no, maybe no, no, like, like a... Khalees. Khalees is Stevie Nicks, because she's got that twirly <laughs> hippie thing, you know, she did the whole album based on food. Yeah, Nicki Minaj. Like, who would Nicki Minaj be? I mean, is she like oasis or something like where she's just sort of combative and like uh, very sort of over the top but like also aggressive and, and and has all that yeah i don't know i mean i don't know why moms get left out of this this nomenclature i mean i feel like because again like dad rock wasn't a compliment so no. it's not like it's a good thing to be called that but hmm. yeah i don't know Mom why rock, that, yeah, i don't, I don't know why that didn't happen uh, I, you know I, it, it does feel kind of sexist though that the moms right? get left out my theory about uh, mom rap and mom rock uh is that women are not allowed to have careers long enough to atrophy into irrelevance so the ageism so the ageism acts against women having careers long enough to 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 start you know becoming greatest hits machines. And I think that's true. I mean, I think, you know, and I write about this in, in, in my book, you know, as far as like classic rock radio helping to shape our knowledge of what the classic rock canon is, you know, those stations didn't play a lot of women and they didn't play a lot of black artists either that could have been put under that. So like, I think that definitely informs um, how we think about it. I mean, because like, I mean, like dad rock, it it's about the artist, but it's also about the audience. You know, like it's describing the people in the bands, but I think more so it's about the people that listen to this music. It's sort of defining music by the audience, which is always a dicey thing to do. But that is, I think, generally what people mean when they talk about this. Don't you get the sense, Greg, we could do this with Stephen Hyden forever? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, Steve, it's a, it's a great book, Twilight of the Gods, A Journey to the End of Classic Rock. And this was a great, one of these classic uh, all-time music argument starters, uh, dad rap. Thanks for coming on Sound Opinions, man. My pleasure, guys. Thanks so much. Like I'm thinking like, Nicki Minaj could be like Grace Slick of uh, Jefferson Airplane. You know, somebody oh, yeah. like that. Somebody who's a little feisty. Got now it's your turn to play the dad rap game. Who are the Creedence Clearwater Revival of rap? How about the Elvis Costello of hip-hop? Call and leave a message on our hotline at 888-859-1800. Greg, what's on the show next week? 
Next week, Jim, a classic album dissection is on the table. Uh, the 50th anniversary of Van Morrison's masterpiece, Astral Weeks. For more sound opinions, listen to our podcast wherever you find those wonderful things. As always, Sound Opinions was produced by Brendan Banizak, Alex Claiborne, Iona Contreras, and Andrew Gill. Started from the public houses. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hey, Jim and Greg. This is Bob calling from Minneapolis, though Chicago is my hometown. And I just listened to um, the Lennon-McCartney episode, which was delightful because I love when you two take sides. Your point about Paul McCartney's lows are far lower than John Lennon's lows. Um, was borne out by your examples. But I have to say that... Um, to me, nothing gets at that uh, more than the earworm that is McCartney's wonderful Christmas time song. And perhaps it was below the dignity of your show to play it, um, or you just couldn't bear to uh, inflict that on your, your listeners. Um, but as someone who actually likes the holidays and looks forward to that time, nothing gets me more anxious uh, than the thought that I might encounter that song somewhere during the holiday season. Um, if there is like a songwriter's equivalent of the Hague's Human Rights Tribunal, uh, Paul McCartney might need to appear for, for that, um, maybe even more than temporary secretary. Thanks very much. The mood is right. The spirit's up. We're here tonight. And that's enough. This is Jan Luca from New York City. I'm currently on an airplane, actually, about to take off. But that said, I want to congratulate you. I love your show on John and Paul. And you left out, for me, what is the worst of all of their solo songs and possibly songs of all time is that horrible dreck, Imagine. John Lennon, while playing a white Steinway in a 22-bed mansion in a 200-acre estate with cars in the garage, including one hand-painted Rolls-Royce, he says, without the hint of irony, imagine no possessions. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. Well, John, some of us don't have to imagine having no possession. We're not Beatles. Just because I drive a Beamer, why can't I be the only one? Get off my lawn. Great show, lad. Love you guys. Bye. Jimmy Gregg, this is Matt. I live in Fairfax, Virginia. I listen to the podcast. Uh, I just listened to the Lennon McCartney episode, which I thought was a lot, a lot of fun, but I do have to call you out on something, Jim. Uh, first of all, I love Silly Love Songs. It's a banging bass line, still holds up, and I do like that it's a little twist at his critics. But, Jim, in 2012 or 13, right in there, you added Admiral Halsey to the Desert Island jukebox, and now you're telling me it's not a very good song. Can't have it both ways, Jim, so pick one or the other. If you hate it, that's fine, but we got to take it out of the jukebox. We're so sorry. Uncle Albert
Thank you, guys. Uh, love the work, and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Hello, gentlemen. My name is Demetria Nanos. I'm calling from Chicago. I believe that you gentlemen suffer from an excess of youth. Some of the songs you were critiquing in regards as to uh, Lennon and McCartney as being low points in their compositions were actually favorites of my late mother, who was born in the 20s and said that some of these songs contained elements of show business, riffs of music from the 30s, things that she caught that someone my age or your age would not have. Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey, she said that was very much like a show tune kind of thing. She could see in her head the scenes going on. Yes, that's about it for now. Thank you very much. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.